Welcome to the Best Interest Podcast, where we believe Benjamin Franklin's advice that an investment in knowledge pays the best interest, both in finances and in your life. Every episode teaches you personal finance and investing in simple terms. Now, here's your host, Jesse Kramer. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 59 of the Best Interest Podcast. My name is Jesse Kramer. We are going to bring on a couple guests today for an awesome conversation about positivity and mental health and how it deals with personal finance. But first, we're going to travel back to ancient Greece, to the Cyrenaics. The Cyrenaics were an interesting bunch. Their school of philosophy, founded in the 4th century in the Greek city of Cyrene, hence their name, the Cyrenaics. The Cyrenaics preached skeptical epistemology and sensualist hedonism. Wow, cool terms. Now, what is skeptical epistemology? don't really know, but Wikipedia tells me it's about knowing what's true, knowing what's real, and the theory of knowledge itself. That seems kind of cool and legitimate, but I'm more interested in sensualist hedonism, which deduces a single universal aim for all people, and that aim is pleasure. Okay, physical pleasure is best, said the Cerniacs. Things like sweet foods, a soft kiss, cool water on a hot day, But pleasure could also take other forms, such as brain-only feelings, things like contentment, altruism, friendship, and justice. Pleasures, though, said the Cerniacs, are only beneficial insofar as they don't bring pain with them. Pain, after all, many people would consider to be the antithesis of pleasure. Cerniac leader Aristippus once wrote, The best thing is to possess pleasures without being their slave, not to be devoid of pleasures. In other words, he was saying, one, you should seek out pleasure. Two, don't let pleasures or pleasure-seeking capture you, since being a captive is painful. And then three, don't intentionally avoid pleasure simply because you fear the pain that might come. Now, our brains are hardwired for pleasure-seeking. We say yes in life to the easy bads, you know, things like donuts, easy to say yes, but it's bad for you. And we often say no to the hard goods Things like running eight miles. It's really good for you, but it's hard to do. But do we actually feel contentment from pleasure seeking? So this goes back to the last summer. I was camping on a beautiful island in the Adirondacks. And as we sat too close to a late night campfire, friend of the blog, Nikki, asked me, Hey, Jesse, do you and Kelly ever struggle with contentment? That, that feeling that what you have is enough? And my answer was Yes. Yes, 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 we absolutely do struggle with that. And no, I don't necessarily think that sensualist hedonism is the answer. My first reaction to Nikki's question is that I feel FOMO or the fear of missing out simply because there isn't enough time in the day. Our 24 hours aren't nearly enough for me to satiate the feeling that I could and should be doing something more. And that's despite the fact that I'm in a loving relationship with a good career, a wonderful family, happy dog terrific friends, great hobbies. My life is fantastic. And yet I still pine for more. And that makes me feel, I don't know, uh, strange, negative in some way. I can't put my finger on it because I ask myself, why am I unsatisfied? Why am I just trying to squeeze more and more and more out of life? Now, to help answer that question, we can jump from ancient Greek to the original Buddhists. In Buddhism, Desire and ignorance lie at the root of all suffering. So let's break those two things down. Desire. By desire, 
the Buddhists refer to craving pleasure, craving material goods, or even immortality, all of which are wants that can never truly be satisfied. And then, as a result, desiring those things, desiring the things that can never be satisfied, can only bring about suffering. Now, ignorance, in comparison, it relates to not seeing the world as it actually is. So desire and ignorance, they lie at the root of all suffering. The desire for more, according to the Buddha, can never be satisfied. And that brings us to the so-called hedonic treadmill, which is a pillar of frugalism and the fire movement. If you're a personal finance aficionado, you might be familiar with the hedonic treadmill. If you're an academic, you might have heard it called the hedonic adaptation. So the hedonic treadmill or hedonic adaptation, it describes the tendency of humans to seek pleasure and then to adapt to that pleasure, thereby maintaining or maybe even regressing to their prior level of happiness. For example, you get new shoes and you feel pretty happy about it. But then over time, you get used to those shoes and your happiness ends up resetting to prior levels. While a real treadmill might actually be wearing your shoes down, the hedonic treadmill wears down the pleasure that those shoes bring. And now we can substitute everything else in life for the shoes. A new car, a new house, a new hobby. We can search for happiness in a manner like this, but it's like running on a treadmill. You can try, 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 but you won't actually get anywhere. You'll be working hard, but you'll be standing still. And you won't necessarily be running in place per se, but you'll probably be spending money in place. You'll spend more, more, more searching for happiness, but you won't necessarily feel any better for it. And that's a recipe for financial hardship. It turns out that contentment and happiness, it really is a personal finance topic. So let's talk about financial contentment. Questions like, is my salary enough? Is my car enough? Is my house enough? These are all legitimate questions that most of us ask at one time or another. But an important further probing question to ask is, why are you asking in the first place? For example, let's look at the house question. Is my house enough? Are you worried that your family is simply outgrowing the space that you have? Or does your house feel small compared to that of your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers? Now, the first question has a pretty tangible endpoint. If your house is too small for your family, you have a solution within reach. Buy a house to meet your family's needs. Unless you're the kind of hedonist who has a family that grows infinitely, you can find a house to address your concerns. Your question isn't a treadmill, but instead it's a well-defined trail from point A to point B. It's more of a need than it is a want. Now, the second question, if your house feels small compared to that of your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, I'm not sure that question really has a tangible endpoint because much like that saying, there's always a bigger fish, there's always a bigger house. It's not really a need in your life, but more of a desire, more of a want in your life. If you're comparing your house to the houses of others, you have endpoints of either one, you build the best house in the world, or two, you always feel inferior to someone else's house because there's another bigger house out there. And those aren't very satisfying endpoints. You'll always be a mere fish stick next to a great white shark. The solution, therefore, is to train yourself to not compare in the first place. Comparison truly is the thief of joy. Now, it's really hard to do. The learning curve is steep. 
our Western culture and its bent on materialism have bombarded us with urges to compare to one another. Just check out the bumper stickers next time you drive. Stanford, Harvard, Monroe Community College. My child is an honor student at Who Gives a Crap Middle School. But we have to learn, hard as it might be, not to assign our self-worth based on comparisons. Your house, your car, your dog status at the kennel club, they do not make you superior or inferior to anyone else. Because here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And a compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it JC or Allah, be it Yahweh or the Wiccan mother goddess or the Four Noble Truths or some inviolable set of ethical principles, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. It's been codified as myths, proverbs, cliches, epigrams, parables, the skeleton of every great story. The whole trick is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness. You need to worship wisely. You need to ask yourself, what do I want and why do I want it? So here's a little exercise that you can start practicing. Write down what you want. Write down why you want it. Write down why it'll make you happy. And then write down the date. Now you can rinse and repeat that every week or every month or every quarter. You can start to track your desire over time. And when enough time has elapsed, you can track your happiness too. You'll start to collect real data from real past versions of you. And that data will show you if you're struggling on the hedonic treadmill. Are your desires based on comparisons to others or based on real material needs in your life? Did your desires turn into action? And did that action actually lead to more happiness? Or did it lead to dissatisfaction and more desire? Did your happiness persist over time or was it fleeting? Did you hedonically adapt? Humans have struggled with this forever. The Sereniacs tried to figure it out 2,400 years ago, and Buddha had them beat by about 150 years. Seeking contentment is part of the human condition. In fact, this discontent is probably a simple evolutionary side effect. After all, who's more likely to survive? The animal content to sit on his butt, or the animal constantly seeking more, more, and more? While desire-seeking might be natural, or at least part of natural selection, most of you, most of us, are beyond that ape-on-the-savannah kind of mentality. and We no longer need the more, more, more to survive. It doesn't take a sensual hedonist to remind you to eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Now, let's transition to the fun interview conversation part of the podcast episode, A little blurb beforehand, I do not believe in magic, but I do believe in the power of the human brain, and I'm firmly convinced that a positive, optimistic outlook is better than the negative alternative. You still got to be a realist, and that's important to point out. You can't just be this overly positive Pollyanna, but there are so many benefits to positive, realistic thinking. Mental benefits, social benefits, no one likes hanging out with a Debbie Downer. 
and even some financial benefits, some career benefits to maintaining a positive attitude. So I want to bring on two friends into the podcast, both of whom I thought of because they are eminently positive people, both of whom with a good personal finance brain, and I thought the three of us could have a pretty interesting conversation about the topic. First, we're going to have Joel Larsgaard. Joel is the co-host of the How to Money podcast, one of the very top personal finance podcasts on the internet. And the other is Joel O'Leary. Yes, Joel and Joel. Joel Larsgaard is the one with the American accent, and Joel O'Leary is the one with the Australian accent. Joel O'Leary, some people know him as 5AM Joel, ran a very successful website and newsletter called 5AMJoel.com. I was a daily reader and subscriber. And then Joel got involved with the well-known Budgets Are Sexy blog. And now Joel O'Leary is helping Joel Larsgaard with How to Money. So anyway, Joel and Joel, American and Australian, are about to join us. And I'm going to pick their brains on the power of positive thinking and specifically its personal finance benefits. Joel O'Leary, welcome back to the Best Interest Podcast. And Joel Larsgaard, welcome for the first time to the Best Interest Podcast. Dude, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, Jesse. Always good, mate. So I'm excited for this conversation, guys. When I think of personal finance experts who just happen to be outrageously positive, enthusiastic, and it seems in many ways to have led to wonderful things in your lives, I think of you guys. So I'm really excited to bring your thoughts to the best interest audience today. I'm of the belief, and and the audience knows this by now, that approaching life with an optimistic bent is inherently good and inherently better than alternatives. It feels mentally healthier to do so, and in my experience, seems to lead to better life outcomes. So maybe we can start with, do you guys find that universally true in your lives? Is this an intentional choice that you've made to approach life with this really positive outlook? What does this topic make you guys think of? I'll start. This is Joel O'Leary. People <laughs> don't know my voice or 5 a.m. Joel, something to call me. So yes, in general, I think it's universally true. But I can't just go out there and say every single person must believe this. It's very personal to be positive and optimistic and happy and whatever. You need to know a lot about yourself and, and practice it. So all I can really say is for me, it works. For me, it works in every area of my life, my attitude, my mindset. This, this positivity really bleeds into everything that I do. And it's the, it actually makes my world better. So yes, I believe it. Other people may see it differently because of their view, their mindset, their whatever. But yeah, I'm all in on positivity. I don't understand why people think negativity will get them further in life. And I certainly have never experience that. So yeah, that's, that's definitely what I'm coming from. I'm an advocate for positivity. Yeah. I think, I think it's important to define terms just a little bit here too, because having, we're not talking about having some sort of Pollyanna-ish rose-colored glasses view of the world. And I think sometimes that's what positivity gets built out. It's like, you know, you stub your toe and you're like, thank goodness, I'm happy right now. You know, like there are bad things that happen in life. And so it's really important to be able to to grieve and to lament and to go through a hard time and feel those feelings. So it doesn't mean 
avoiding everything that's difficult and not feeling those emotions. But it is having an approach to life that says, I will not dwell on those things and I will not let them inhibit my progress. And I think having a, a positive and optimistic view of the world is going to overall yet yeah, impact you in, in a beneficial way in a, meaningfully over time. Let's dive into that a little bit more. I can speak personally here really quick before handing it back to you guys. I do get angry. I do get frustrated. I do get sad. Sometimes those feelings linger inside of me. So maybe I'm not the best example here of someone who, long story short, I don't always maintain as positive an attitude as maybe I would like to. But you guys, I'm bringing you on here as these bastions of positivity, at least in the way my mind's eye thinks of you two. But, but tell us if you would. I mean, maybe there's a recent anecdote. Something bad happened to you guys. I mean, how do you react when bad stuff happens? Anger, sadness, how long does it last? What, what really goes through your mind? What are you thinking about? Well, something we talked about right before started recording was a tree fell through my house, which was not fun. <laughs> I was actually visiting Joel O'Leary in Los Angeles during spring break and got a call from my neighbors and boom, lightning struck this 80 foot tall tree in my house. Looks like a tree pitchfork got stuck through the roof. I'll send you a picture. It's crazy. It literally like, yeah, not just went through the roof, but through my couch and created a big hole in, in the floor as well. So we had to end up moving out of our house for a couple months, couldn't find a place to rent locally. And we really wanted to, to stay put for the summer. It's our first summer in our, in our new town that we moved to. But alas, that was not in the cards. And so, but we had to make lemonade out of these lemons. And so we used it to take like a, a long summer vacation to Florida. And yeah, again, it's not what we had planned on, not necessarily what we wanted, not how we thought our summer was going to turn out. But And even that trip when we were in Los Angeles and this happened, I think for it would have been easy to let it ruin that trip too. But we were able to say, listen, there's a couple things we can handle from here. There's a bunch of things that we can't even do even if we are there. We're just going to be there looking at it devastated, right? And so why not do the couple things we can do, call our insurance, get the tree out of there, take care of those few things remotely that we can, and enjoy the rest of our trip. And so I think sometimes we can dwell on that negative thing and spin our wheels, even though we can't make progress on fixing it. And so really all we're doing is getting ourselves worked up. We're down in the dumps for really for no, we let it linger longer than it should. Yeah. yeah so I was, I was there for that. Uh, that was awesome. I woke up, it was 7am here and I texted Joel Hey man, you're ready for the day. We're, we're going to go hiking. What are we doing for breakfast? And he said, dude, you know, big storm in Atlanta. My house is wrecked. And he texted me a photo. We, this is what we worked up to. Anyway, I was just, I think I was mostly impressed about Joel and his wife tackling it head on. I think a lot of people, uh, something bad happens and then they just sit there for a long time thinking about scenarios and replaying things. These guys just started making phone calls. All right, let's get someone out there. Let's do this. Let's do that really tackling it anyway that was that made a big difference because within a few hours things the grass was greener it, not within a few days within a few hours they were like well that's under control we called the insurance we have the money for the you know thing we've got that guy going out we got photos we got friends in the area and there's nothing we can do so like they just shortened the cycle that most people sit in this when a disaster happens you know your house a big thing that's big right? What about these little small day-to-day -day things that, that ruin people's day? We actually, yesterday, my wife and I checked out of a hotel. We were 
uh, on vacation, checking out of the hotel. We had a great time. Five days, a nice wicked resort with a lazy river or whatever. We're checking out. And the lady said, okay, we've just got a few room charges to settle before you leave. And I was like, hey, I'm sick. I didn't bill anything to my room. What are you talking about? And she's like, yeah, look, I see it right here. She says you ordered some food and drinks by the pool. And I was like, that definitely was not us. But she said, yeah, yeah, you have to give your room number, show your ID, and put your name down to be able to bill. So it had to be you. I was like, definitely not us. And I felt a bit violated that someone like knew my information at the hotel. The charge was $22. So like, this isn't very much money. This shouldn't ruin my day. But still, that's a, that's a really annoying thing. She wouldn't waive it. She said, you have to speak to a manager and they're not even in yet. So I had to check out and leave with this like weird like ending to my trip. And it doesn't feel great. And I'm just, I'm not paying a charge that I didn't accrue. $22 is not very much. So what do you do in those situations? And so my wife was me and I was like, this is, does not feel good. <laughs> like, we need to turn this around. Little things started to gradually get us over it. First of all, we, as we drove away, I put the windows down and we put some good music on. That was like the first thing, being positive is getting outside just immediately like improves your mood, sort of gets you out of your headspace. Music, definitely. And then as we started to recall good bits from the trip. I was like, well, that sucks. We'll talk to the manager in a few hours when he comes in, but let's start talking about what had good happened in that trip. What was your favorite part? We asked our kid, what's your favorite part of what happened the last few days? And we eventually just sort of dug ourselves out of this, like, I don't know, this weird, crappy, negative feeling and built something really funny out of it. We eventually called the manager. And the other thing I thought is, I don't want to like go nuts at this hotel that we actually had a really good time at, you know? I don't want to complain. So, you know, I thought, let's get on the phone and make the guy laugh. Let's make a joke about this. And they'll wave it. Of course they will. And we'll move on with our lives. So that's what we did. And, and it was just, it was a fun ending to the trip versus a negative ending to the trip, which I think a lot of people may have walked away with. So... Anyway, that's just an example of these small little things that happen to all of us. But in the grand scheme of things, they're not big. They're not massive house disaster. They're not huge things that life throws at us. They're just teeny little things everyone's day. And we can choose to be positive about it. Or we can choose to be negative about it. And knowing these little tricks are, you know, yeah, way to walk away happy. So. Right. Some, some interesting words in, in both your guys' answers there that I would want to highlight. One of them is choose or choice. Another word was dwell, mm. which I, I really thought was a powerful word about that, you know, if I combine them, that we have the choice to either dwell on things that are negative. We have the choice in both your cases to act immediately on things that can be acted on, or in some cases, the choice to push the action out into the future because say the manager's not in right now and there's nothing you can do about it. And it makes me think of some Stoic philosophy. Are, are you guys familiar at all with, with Stoic philosophy, Stoicism? Yeah. I, I'm just curious, does it, does it little, affect? Yeah. Uh, do you try to apply it or do you just simply realize that this is something that I found in myself? I'm not sure I ever have actively applied Stoicism in my life, but just some of the things that we've been talking about here on the call and some of the things that I've done in my own life, I think it happens to align with Stoic philosophy. I just never quite realized it. Yeah. No, I think it's true. I think, and Ryan Holiday has done a lot of good work in kind of revitalizing the Stoics. And I think that those messages are, are really powerful. 
but the water we swim in, in especially in this country, but in the world right now, is so pessimistic. And it, so it takes, it, it really is an uphill battle. It's like a salmon swimming upstream. You do have to actively choose this. And it is difficult because everything is pointing us in the opposite direction. If it bleeds, it leads, right? We, we know that, that old saying from, about journalism, it, the 24-hour news cycle, it's easy to get, get drug in and think that everything is bad. Even just look at, on the investing front, all the predictions about what was going to happen in the market this year, they were tepid at best, a lot of naysayers, doom and gloom. And it's, that's not what's happened. They've all been wrong. And now everyone's revising their predictions upward, right? Because, oh, well, if it's been good, it's going to keep being good. And, and so I think pessimists sound smart in the moment. They sound like they're smarter, like they have inside information. But the truth is, I think that pessimism causes us to make choices and especially on the money front that are in our own worst interest because we think we can't imagine things getting better because man everybody around us is all these talking heads are are saying that things are going to get worse i think recent stats showed that something like 75% of people 78% of people said no my life's good i'm happy with my life but only 20% of people could say things are great with the country. And so for some reason, people seem to be like, everything's okay in here, but not everything's okay out there. And I think it's a disconnect from community, a disconnect from, from friendship, more loneliness, more time spent on screens, all that sort of stuff. And so I think we have to get out there in the real world. And when you get out there in the real world and you stop and you tune those pessimists out more and more, you're naturally going to gravitate more towards optimism because there is a lot of good. And hanging out with people IRL in real life will only make you, I think, feel more positive over time too. I feel a little bit like a crazy person at times, only because I've written about on the blog and I've spoken about here on the podcast, the business of bad news, or in some cases, the business of media in general. You know, we all, all three of us here have had our own individual forays into different forms of media publication. But, you know, one of the big revenue models is advertising. Okay, we have to get paid somehow. Advertising makes sense. And the way that advertising works is usually the more people who read, the more people who watch, the more people who click, the more advertising dollars you earn as a creator. And therefore, people, creators, often get pointed in the direction of creating the content that will get the most engagement. Mm -hmm. That tends to be whatever is most inflammatory, most negative. Fear and anger drive more eyeballs than positivity. I sound like a conspiracy theorist or I sound a bit like a crazy person when I say this, but that's a big reason for the fact that so much of the media that we see is pessimistic and negative. It all has its roots back to kind of that advertising business model, especially on the internet. So I'll, I'll put down my crazy guy in the town square hat and Joel O'Leary, I think you were about to say something. What are your thoughts on that? No, I, I think you're right. And Jesse, you're a very self-aware kind of guy. You're, you're a very smart young guy. <laughs> you, most people don't realize the negative effect that things have on them. And, and you can do. And maybe because you're, maybe you're in the business and you study it a little bit and you've got a personal interest in it. But you can read negative news for a day and then realize at the end of the day, oh, wow, I actually feel pretty crap right now. Or as other people will read negative news for the day and then they're like, all right, well, the world is crap. And let's get up and do it again tomorrow. And so anyway, there's a lot of self-awareness there, which is also contributes to all this stuff. But uh, like people say, oh, should you just avoid conflict? Should you avoid the drama? Should I check out completely? And you can't really do that. You can't disconnect with the world. 
But you can shy away from those things that are triggers to leading you to a negative mindset. Gossip at work. If you're getting involved in, even if you're listening and just doing the head nodding, you're adding to your toxic culture. You're not helping your culture. Drama. Any like busyness. You know, this all leads to like this, this FOMO and this, this weird feelings. So anyway, identifying those triggers and then, and then stepping back. And you can start small as well. It's not like you have to cut everything off or delete your Instagram. I know you've taken that social media hiatus and that's awesome. A lot of people can't do that. But just stepping away for five minutes, going for a walk without your phone for 20 minutes has massive effect on your day. There's a little ways where you can step back and sort of be careful of what you ingest. Yeah. And, and real quick, it is so hard. And I, I have this such an internal struggle with something that you just touched on, Joel, which is on the one hand, understanding that if all you did was watch cable news, you would feel worse for it. Yeah. And you'd probably be a worse person for it. But at the same time, ignoring global events, ignoring what's going on in terms of government, economy, climate change, what, whatever it may be, even the local news, you can't ignore everything. I mean, you still want to be some sort of an active citizen participating in the world, hopefully pushing us in a better direction. I struggle with how to keep those two things in balance. How do I not let, say, climate change stories drive some existential dread inside of me, mm. but still at the same time be aware that it seems to be a growing problem and there are probably things that we should be doing to fix it. That balance is, is hard for me to strike. Yeah, I get that. And, and I, I don't think there's like an easy solution to that. But I do think that when we look at a snapshot of our lives, most of us, it's easy to think that the person who gets elected to the highest office in the land, that that's going to massively change our lives. And it's understandable that maybe we react negatively to certain people at different times. And, and hey, we're not a fan of this person or their policies, right? And we are going to vote accordingly. And I think it's okay. But it's also true for most of us that whoever is in that office, like our lives don't change all that drastically. Your life probably doesn't look all that different today than it did five years ago, at least based on who's in charge for the moment. And, and part of that is because our government is kind of created to do very little and to move very slowly. And, and with, with something like climate change, I think it's really important maybe to look back at at past things that we've been able to overcome in ways that as a society, it, it was things that looked dire have really like, or, or, and, and especially when you look at like the stock market returns over time, we've gone through world wars and we've gone through depressions and we've gone through pandemics and look at what happens. Like it doesn't mean that it's all rosy and that n nothing bad happens, but it's like humanity continues to invent and create and build wealth. And when you look at like the, the, the numbers that Steven Pinker has amassed and you see just all the progress that's happened on a global scale over time, yeah, there are, it's not that we shouldn't be active and at work in our communities to better our neighbors and to, to, to give our money in ways that can help the downtrodden. But at the same time, look at all the many ways that we have benefited and as a society, like we've gotten better and, and, and we just have more individual control over what we consume and over how we react to those things and how we interpret them. You know, it's easy to get down about something like, I mean, and I see that sometimes like the doomerism mentality of people who, oh, climate change is going to ruin us. And so we have to dedicate our whole lives to this. And if that's your thing, go for it. But it's also true in my mind, humans are incredibly creative, incredibly smart, 
And the solution in all likelihood is going to come from some pretty brilliant people who care a whole lot about it. And I believe there's going to be, there's going to be solutions and it's not just doom and gloom. So you got such an optimistic mindset. I love it, dude. It's, uh, yeah, it's quite good. But specifically, I love what you said also about what's in your control, what's out of your control. You can know about it, but you don't, you can't act on it. I can't change our climate issues today. But what I can do is I can drive my Prius. I can uh, look into electric vehicles. I can bike a little more. And sort of relating this to personal finance, I think the same type of thing. What's in your control? What's out of your control? We can dwell on the negative news about the stock market being down and you know, those political changes and these scary things. Or I can focus on what is in my control. How much I earn, how much I save, how much I invest, how much I give, how I budget, how often I think about my money. And so I can thrive in a really negative world. It sounds bad. I'm not saying those, those larger issues don't exist. I just can't control them. So both, both Joel's, you both just touched on something that I hear a lot, sometimes through the blog, sometimes through my day job, which is someone will come in and say, listen, Jesse, really want to approach things conservatively. I mean, after all, like you, you've seen the news. We know we're headed to a, a recession <laughs> or we, we know the stock market can't last something along those lines. And on the one hand, it's, it's very similar to what we've been talking about. Of course, we want to be paying attention to the economy. We want to be paying attention to, say, leading indicators. If there is a recession in the long run, right, you know, the stock market is based on business performance and recessions aren't good for businesses. Sure, there's some sort of connection there in the short run. But if we're long-term investors, like the three of us are, like many of the listeners are, we also have to realize that short-term fluctuations in the news cycle or in the economy won't matter that much once we're sitting 30 years from now in the year 2053. And yet I'm having conversations with people where they say, well, you saw the news last week. You saw that thing about the debt ceiling. I want to be really conservative right now. And it's very interesting. There's a similarity there between the ability of, of seeing something that's sure negative in nature and certainly is negative right now, but not letting it affect our long-term investment approaches. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes ignorance can be bliss, right? <laughs> and you don't necessarily want to live your life in ignorance. But there are lots of times where not paying attention is actually going to be better for you. And I think we, we see that the stats, investing stats bear that out, where the, the more you tinker with your portfolio, the lower your returns are going to be over time. And, and why do people tinker with their portfolio? Because they're worried about what's coming around the bend, because they're listening to these predictions of recessions. And there's that funny saying that economists have predicted nine out of the last three recessions or something like that, right? It's like, there's always a prediction. And sure, they come along, not like clockwork, but they come along fairly regularly. And we should expect to see drawdowns in the market. And we should expect to see job losses right over time. But those haven't panned out nearly to the degree that a lot of people have, have predicted. And so one of my favorite money quotes comes from Morgan Housel, of course, brilliant writer, right? We all love that guy. And he says, invest like an optimist and save like a pessimist. And I think that's kind of what saves us in a lot of ways is if we save realizing that rainy days are going to come, it's not, it's not blind optimism, right? It's not rainbows and puppies and sunshine and saying like nothing bad will befall me. Bad things befall you. <laughs> and part of the reason I'm obsessed with money is because my dad lost his job when I was young and that created a lot of financial stress in our lives. And so I was like, okay, how can I figure out how to handle money? So 
these issues don't arise in, in my future. It's not that I won't lose my job. It's not like that my pay won't get cut, but it's like, how can I be better prepared to handle that? And so save like a pessimist. Yes, definitely. Have money in a savings account, liquid, preferably three to six months worth of expenses so that you can weather those storms and so that you don't have to be mentally freaked out about these predictions. It's like, boom, yeah, cool. If a recession, if I lose my job, guess what? I'm not nearly as freaked out anymore because I have the financial backstop to carry me through those times. But invest like an optimist, realizing that our country and this world continues to thrive on innovation. And because of that, we can all partake in the wealth building abilities that the investing in the market generates. So it needs to be both. It needs to be both. But I think it's so easy to get focused on those, those short-term possibilities. And like you said, when we're talking about longer timeframes, who cares? And as long as you are prepared with money in the bank to cover you in the short term, then you can invest without worrying if your money can be socked away for decades. Going back, Joel, I just think of I think of the average person out there, if a tree fell through their house, some of the thoughts that might go through their head are the logistical pain of fixing the house, the logistical pain of what are you going to do with your family in the meantime? And I know those are both pains that, that you've had to figure out. But then there's a third one, which is just the financial burden. You know, are you adequately covered? Is there a deductible on your insurance? How are you going to take care of that? And for a lot of people out there, that could be an extremely difficult pain point. And I think it's interesting for you because of this story that you shared, you know, because of the way you approach money, because of the lessons that you learned from, from your childhood with your dad and that for you, at least that financial aspect was not a pain point for you as you were out in California, hanging out with Joel O yeah. in the back of your mind, you knew, okay, other logistics, maybe I'm going to have to worry about that today, tomorrow in the coming months. But at least the financial logistics, I'm all set on that front. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah, I knew I had I was coming back to a part-time job of dealing with insurance and contractors, right? And <laughs> yeah. and and it really has been in a lot of ways. And <laughs> we got rear-ended a couple of weeks after that. And so it was just like literally dealing with insurance companies on multiple fronts, getting a car repaired, finding another car, blah, 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 blah. But yes, I mean, to not have the money stress hanging over me, knowing that even with a ridiculously high deductible, <laughs> I wish, you know, it's still the right financial move, but it's, it's a pain. But I didn't have to worry about it. I didn't have to worry about money. And that goes a long way, especially when you're on vacation and you want to keep enjoying that vacation, not having to freak out about the money aspect of it because I've been intentional and fortunate over a, a long period of time. That goes a long way. Do you ever think about the fact that your rainy day fund really did matter on a particularly rainy day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I connected the dots on that one. <laughs> I do think that if you think that you will never make it past a certain income, you will never make it past that certain income. If you are convinced that you will always lose money in the stock market, you will find a way to always lose money in the stock market. But if you think that things are going to be good in the end, things are going to work out good for me, no matter what happens along the journey, I'm still going to end up in a great place. So that I do think you sort of manifest your own life and it happens by staying super positive about things or being open and optimistic at least. Anyway, I do believe that affirmations and I won't go as far as saying like visualization and sitting down and like brainwashing yourself into thinking that this is going to happen. But 
yeah, a lot of that confidence and like boosting yourself up to know that you are worthy of it all is is important. Do you think, Joel, I'm curious here, is that, Joel, just some sort of thing where your brain is talking to your brain and it's all going inside inside your head and you're simply building up confidence over time? Or I'm just wondering, is there a third party out there in the ether who's helping you along? I'm, I'm genuinely curious because if it's the first one, I can agree with that, where it's just that you need to build up some self-confidence, some ego. You need to build up the belief in yourself that you will get there or at the very least, the belief that, you know what, I'm going to be happy on this journey no matter where I end up. And then you get there, and you believe it, and you're happy. As soon as we get into kind of the third parties, the flying spaghetti monsters, that's where some of the books that I've read about the power of positivity, they lose me only because they say, yep, there's a power out there, and it's going to help you out as long as you believe in it. <laughs> Love it. Great, great. I think I'm agreeing with you with a little twist. So the mm -hmm. first one, yes, I think it is in your own head and you generate your own positive thoughts and it, it sort of bounces within your own head and grows stronger and stronger, confidence, positivity, all that stuff. I'm so wacky in my head. You wouldn't even understand these weird thoughts that are going up in there. Okay, but um, the whole universe thing and how the universe has conspired to, to make something I would say that the universe returns what you put out. So you can't just sit back and think, don't worry, the universe is going to take care of this or God is going to take care of this. All I just have to do is believe that it'll magically get better. I think it really is based on what you put out. It's like an echo. You're going to like spit out some positivity and then it sort of comes back. You're going to pump up your friends and guess what? They're going to come and pump you up. Maybe it's like a boomerang, Joel. Yeah? We're going to get Australian with him <laughs> here for a second. <laughs> All right, fine. It's like a boomerang. Yeah, you throw it out there. Sharing your celebrations with other people. They're going to share their celebrations with you. So you, you put out positive things and positive things will come back. I do believe that. So you do create your universe. And then, yeah, do you think the universe kind of conspires to deliver you good stuff? It's kind of like that luck. Do you believe that luck will just happen to you? Well, yeah, sometimes. But I also believe that you can create your own luck. So it is based on what you initiate. Let me give like something practical here too, because it makes me think back to when I was a young man, unmarried, and so, so bad with the ladies. And just asking a girl out, like my heart rate would jump and I just refused to do it. And then I sat down, I looked myself in the mirror and I was like, what's the worst that can happen? And if she looks at you and laughs, how long will it really take you to get over that? And then I, the next girl I asked out, she gave me a fake number and guess what? It happened, but I, I got over my fear. And so I think sometimes it's helpful to have like, what's, Think through the worst case scenario. How bad can it actually be? My parents just retired and we were talking about that. And I said, mom, well, how, how are you feeling about retirement? She said, I'm nervous. I'm nervous because I don't know that we're going to have enough. And I said, cool, let's run through the worst case scenario. What happens if the stock market takes a swan dive? And when we went through all these different scenarios, the worst case scenario was really not bad at all. <laughs> you know, you don't lose the house. You still like, it, there's just the, the worst case scenarios were really pretty benign. And so I think that can be a helpful thing to think through. We let these fears, these emotions build up. And in reality, we've built up kind of a straw man that we're frightened of. 
And really, we just need to like punch him in the face and he just falls straight down. And so I think that's a really important thing to do from a practical standpoint is just to say, well, what is the worst thing that could happen? And you realize that many of the time, most of the time, your fears are not completely unfounded, but you've way over-exaggerated the negative possibilities. That, Joel, just reminds me of going back to a Stoics. I think it's Seneca. There's a, he says a saying that a, a man who suffers before it is necessary suffers more than is necessary. Or maybe a man who suffers before it is necessary suffers twice. And that, when it comes to anxiety or worries, there's a place for worry because it helps us plan for the future. Yeah. But if we're not careful, that same worry, it brings us much more angst than is actually required. Mm-hmm. And that exercise is an awesome exercise. One I probably ought to do more because when I have done it, it's worked out really, really well. Is that kind of fear-setting Tim Ferriss type exercise of, what is the worst that can happen? Let me put a name to it. And usually you realize it's not that bad. Yeah. Yeah, and I do think that stress, you can use stress in a judo-esque sort of way. I don't do martial arts myself, but use that as a way to turn it into action because it's easy to, to get stressed, to let it stew, to seep in it, and it starts to take over your your body. And, and then it breeds more of the same. And instead, I think you can let that stress inform the places where you can and, and need to take action. So if you're stressed about money, well, man, you know, our, our, the first thing we want how to money listeners to do is to save up $2,467. Because guess what? That de-stresses your life in a massive way. It is a practical thing you've done. And then you have this financial backstop, but you're also less stressed about money stuff, or you should be, it should lead to that. And then the more every little step you take along the way towards more financial solvency, towards greater levels of financial independence, it should de-stress you even more. And it's not that money is the answer to all things either, because there are other things that stress us out that money has nothing to do with. But yeah, I do think that we can use those places where we feel stress and lead it to help us find solutions, not just, you know, let it weigh us down. I think another thing about that is when you when you look for these, when you're stressed, you know, you said it bleeds into more like stress or if you come across a problem and you dwell on it, it leads to you finding more problems because you're kind of out there searching for it versus if you fill your day and you fill your life with wins, and these can be tiny little wins. So if you celebrate constantly, it doesn't matter how small it is, you start to look for more wins out there and you start to expect more wins out of your day. You have less stress and then you start to realize them as well. Yeah, it is, a, it is a cycle that just keeps going and going and going. You've got to fill your day with all these celebrations. And on the money side, we tell people to celebrate the little wins along the way because it doesn't matter if you find one penny on the ground because it gets you in that mood of celebrating more. You're not looking for the next disaster. You're looking for the next win and eventually go and create that. Yeah. So. This conversation has been quite a few wins, at least on my side of the microphone. You said something really, really poignant, I thought, that I overlooked. But when you were saying it, I realized, okay, I've overlooked this, but it's definitely true in my life. And it goes back to the whole, is positivity just kind of self-reinforcement or is there a third party involved? And something you said that totally resonated with me is there is a third party involved and maybe it's someone out there, but at the very least, it's definitely just humanity itself. 
and you were talking about the echoes of positivity. And really the whole, the whole idea for me at least is bring positivity out to other people and those other people will echo it back. Maybe not everyone, but a lot of them will. And then that's a self-reinforcing cycle. It's the a rising tide that lifts all ships. So it's a lot of other people out there making the individual choice to be positive or at least to receive your positivity. It brightens up their day a little bit and then they shine out more of that positivity into the world. I don't think it's woo-woo. I just think it's the way that humans are wired. We're social beings. We generally like being around people who are positive. It's better than being around someone who's negative. And so the more we're, we're able to do that with our social circles, the more we're going to receive back. Yeah, great. And then also the ratio of good to bad throughout your day is in the positive swing versus the negative. If I celebrate just one thing today and then one negative thing happens today, that's like half my day was bad and half my day was good. And I can sort of teeter-totter either way. If I celebrate 10 things today, and I can name them right now, it's only 8 a.m. here in California and it's already 10 cool things that have happened to me. And then one negative thing happens today. And that's only 10% of my day that's and I'm not going to think about that very much. All in all, my day has been a positive day because I've celebrated these little things along my way. Joining in other people's celebrations and having them include you in theirs. Yes, it just, it builds way more positives than negatives in your life. And it all starts from you putting it out there and, and involving other people for sure. And you know what? I'll, I'll go even further. I, here's, a, here's a practical step that people can take if they want. It's probably... Uh, I'd say it's about 10 years ago. I, this is so random. I moved from Australia to the US and I'm away from my parents. And so uh, one way that we keep in touch is to send photos to each other through like a group chat. And it's, it was just a photo of the day. I was like, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, just take a photo, send it to the group chat and say, I'm doing this. It eventually led to me writing a, an email to my parents. It's just three good things that happened that day. It was every single day at the end of the day three good things. And it's funny, you wake up the next day and you think, I wonder what three good things are going to happen today. I wonder what three good things are going to happen tomorrow. And you start to look for the good. And by me, including my parents in this, they were also emailing me back good things that were happening in their day. And then actually my emails got bigger and bigger from there. And that led to five and Joel and blah, blah, blah. That's a whole nother story. But that's something that people can do. And it's not like journaling or meditation. I mean, you can go as far as doing that, but it just happens. You know, three good things takes three minutes. They can be tiny little things. Yeah. And you'll notice a massive improvement in your day. One, one thing we do with our kids at the dinner table, we call it a rose, a bud, and a thorn. And so you can talk about something that was hard that day, and we can discuss that. But also, too, what was the best thing that happened today, and what's the bud? What's the cool thing you're looking forward to later this week or next month? What's the exciting stuff coming off in the future so that we can anticipate it and be yeah, ready for it to come and, and, and be getting excited about it over time? So there are practical things you can do like that, and you can go as far, like Joel said, you can you know, get some sort of fancy meditation practice or something like that, which I don't do myself. It might be helpful, but I don't. But I do think, yeah, looking for that stuff, calling it out and calling it out with other people is is like a really powerful thing to do. And and on the subject of money too, yeah, you might, hopefully you can find a couple of friends locally who you can talk to. That is one of the best things that social media and the internet has to offer though, is that you can find your tribe online. So I think of something like the How to Money Facebook group, and it really is 10,000 plus people who it's one of the, you know, it's an encouraging place on the internet, which is not normal necessarily. But those people are 
offering helpful advice or offering a different vantage point and really celebrating each other's wins and pushing them to achieve their goals. And so if you're, if you're thinking, man, I don't really have any friends who are into the personal financing who are trying to do the things I'm trying to do, you can find those people in other places. And I think it's helpful and you need other people involved in the process. You can't just muster all that sort of positive energy on your own every single day. You got to involve other people. I think one of your questions, Jesse, was like, what books can we recommend to people? What blog, podcast, things like that to help them be positive? Well, you can't just read a book on happiness and then go and be happy. You got to like put it into practice and like incorporate it into your daily life slowly. But I did write down Ted Lasso as a resource. I know it's so <laughs> dumb, but go watch that show if you haven't watched it. It's such a positive thing that's so needed in TV right now. And trying to be like Ted Lasso and like overcome everything. I thought that was really cool. I just wanted to throw that out there. Joel O, I've got a confession. I've seen maybe the first half of the first season of Ted Lasso. It was awesome. It's a great show and and very positive. And I've heard that before. So maybe I have to revisit it. Joel L, do you have any sort of positive media recommendations? Oh, man. You know, that's a good question. I, I guess I don't have anything specific. I think probably the goal should be less media in general. I think the average person watches something like four hours of TV a day, which is kind of hard for me to fathom. If that's average, some people are watching a whole lot more. And I think the more sedentary we are and the more we watch screens, the more disconnected and lonely we feel. And so get out there in nature, also with friends, waving to neighbors. I mean, it can be something as simple as that that can brighten your day. It doesn't even have to be like a two-hour beer hang with friends where you're like, delving into all the things that have happened in your life, those can be great. But sometimes it really is a two-minute chat with a neighbor that just brightens your day. And the more we can get outside, I think, and away from media, and and I think, you know, that com- coming from someone in the media, I think that will probably make you a happier person overall. And for most people, it's going to have significant positivity and happiness boosting effect. Yeah, so basically watch Ted Lasso and then quit TV altogether and don't watch anything else. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love it. So in, in review, share some positivity with those in your life. Take a picture a day if you must. Send it out to the ones you love. Maybe do a rose, a bud, and a thorn. You know, some good, some highs, some lows. Reflect on the good things in life. And at least from a personal finance point of view, join a tribe, get some help, find some people who lift you up the How To Money Facebook group, the How To Money podcast, the Best Interest Newsletter, Reddit. So many options out there for you guys. Yeah. So Joels, thank you guys so much for coming on the Best Interest podcast. Glad to do it. That was fun. Yeah, thanks for having us, Jesse. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Best Interest Podcast. If you have a question for Jesse to answer on a future episode, send him an email at jesse at bestinterest.blog. Again, that's jesse at bestinterest.blog. Did you enjoy the show? Subscribe, rate, and review the podcast wherever you listen. This helps others find the show and invest in knowledge themselves, and we really appreciate it. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Best Interest Podcast. The Best Interest Podcast is a personal podcast meant for education and entertainment. It should not be taken as financial advice and is not prescriptive of your financial situation.